Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have uh, Subrat Mitra. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and this week we're talking to Carl Hughes. Carl, do you want to say hello? Hey, guys. Good to meet you. Yeah. So do you want to just tell people who you are and what your background is, and we can kind of run from there? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a software engineer for about 10 years, uh, went from kind of individual contributor up to managing a small team. And then most recently was a CTO at a, a startup in Chicago where I live. And then about two years ago now, I left the sort of developer path and started my own company uh, called Draft.Dev. What we do is technical content writing. And so I can get more into like the specifics of what that is in, as we go, because it kind of relates to the topic at hand. But now I, I run a, a small company, basically. I'm the, the CEO and we've got about, we have about 20 employees, about 200 writers who are all kind of like contract part-time, very uh, kind of pop in and out as needed. And core staff is mostly editors, sales, account management, all that good stuff. So. It's been an interesting transition and uh, a fun couple of years. So happy to, to talk about that and uh, hopefully talk about some, some tech stuff too. Good deal. Yeah, sounds really interesting. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. I've kind of looked at some of that on my end too as a possibility of like recording podcasts for people and things like that. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a it's an interesting world doing content for uh, technical companies. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is like the, the developer, I don't know, I'll call it developer economy of developers who can make purchasing decisions for their companies has just exploded in the last few years. And because of that, you have all sorts of career fields like developer relations and developer marketing that are kind of just now emerging. And they need people who are technical, but also willing to kind of write content, do podcasts, do video. And it's a really hard skill set to recruit for. So the, you know, to your point, you probably, I mean, a lot of our clients have asked about podcasts and stuff it's not something we do but i'm sure i would i would send them your way if you start doing yeah it. <laughs> send them over <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely yep. yep so i i'm kind of torn because i i keep going back and forth on whether we should talk about you wrote this uh this piece last or two years ago year and a half ago 23 yeah. alternative career paths for software developers and then you've also you know we're talking about kind of the the writing and content and things like that which is something that i advocate that people do as part of their career as part of the top end devs method that you produce a piece of content every week at least and yeah. you know it opens all kinds of doors and things like that so 
maybe we can kind of blend the two, I guess, but uh. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, they're very related. You know, what when I wrote this this p- first piece you mentioned, it's it's a big list of like alternative career paths for software developers. And mm-hmm. what was going through my head was I was kind of exiting my role as CTO and figuring out what I was going to be next. And I was looking at different options, but also just talking to a lot of people and started to realize there's all these other paths that you could take. And you know, another thing that that stood out to me, I've I've done a lot of like mentoring for junior devs coming out of boot camps mm-hmm. and college. And right. this often comes up where people say like, look, I like develop software development, but I don't love it. I'd love to do something that wasn't quite full-time software development. Like maybe I want to be with people a little more, or maybe I want to, you know, be more of like a, a support person who gets a bit more of that interactivity. Maybe I want to be in this kind of hybrid role of marketing. And so right. anyway, I, I just heard a lot of people talking about like, what are the ways that I could use these dev skills while still, uh, or still use them while getting into some of these other areas. And so that, that's sort of what inspired that article. That makes sense. So, so what are some of these paths? I mean, you have the list, but yeah, I mean, yeah. do they kind of break down into categories or? Yeah, the kind of some broad categories. Like the first big one is the sort of uh, marketing slash sales path. And again, we're kind of talking about this already, like developer marketing, developer relations, even things like sales engineering. A lot of software engineers don't really even think about that. But if you say work at a, a big company that implements its software. So, you know, it's like even Microsoft would be a good example. Like Microsoft will work with a a client or customer. They'll sell them all this hosting, but then they'll also help them through their sales engineering process, implement it and actually use their tools to the best of, you know, the best they can. So I've had friends that did that sort of consultant sort of role there. And it's a very different kind of thing because you're, you're sort of like constantly moving between new problems. You're kind of a mix of sales and engineering and, and, you know, it's, so it's just a different blend. So that's one angle. Now, Obviously, not every engineer yep. wants to go more into the people side. So you have a lot of other other kind of things. I put in here as well some of the like support kind of roles. So sysadmin or DevOps. You know, DevOps has gotten to be a cooler term, but I mean, essentially, it's it's sort of the modern uh, sysadmin. And with that, you're managing more servers and infrastructure. Sometimes even getting into hardware, which is again like not something I have much experience with. But it's kind of interesting. And if you ever sort of thought it would be cool to actually get my hands on some networking devices, that might be more like close to a path you could even get into it from there and so there's there's sort of that that angle and then there's the the stuff like i've kind of gravitated towards which is technical writing and content production and things like that and again it doesn't all have to actually be we do a draft.dev marketing focused developer content but there's also a whole huge field of technical documentation writing so right during college one of my internships was with uh with siemens healthcare and i did just technical documentation for their their medical imaging devices and that's a really interesting role if you're an engineer who likes to instruct and help other people learn things and maybe don't want to be there writing code every day. Instead, you want to write, you know, long form or, or short form prose. So that was a really fun exposure to that whole side of things too. And I think that's an angle that a lot of devs kind of don't think about necessarily when they're they're weighing what they could do next. Yeah, I find it interesting. A uh, couple of thoughts here. One is is that so there was a company here in Utah called Omniture that eventually got bought out by Adobe. And yeah, they had a whole raft of people that were effectively customizing Omniture for people. Right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, you know, they didn't consider themselves programmers necessarily. They were kind of somewhere in between. But I mean, a lot of the stuff they were doing, they were writing custom code for. There was just no way around it, right? And added a ton of value to the customers that were using them. And it makes a lot of sense, right? So if you want to work in an ecosystem that you really can kind of go deep on, that makes a ton of sense. I'm 
definitely steeped in the content <laughs> arena here, you know, having podcasted <laughs> for what, 13 years now. And uh, so I, I hear that as well. And the, the other thing is, is like, none of these have to be mutually exclusive, right? You, you can yes. do some of the evangelism, yeah. you can do some of the content, you can do some of the and project management. It, yeah, exactly. Like, what's, what's cool about that is if you say came from a background like design or product management, and then you become a developer, you now have two really complementary skill sets that some companies will hire hybrid roles where, you know, you yep. might be they might need product managers who are really technical who do know what software engineering actually is, they might need designers who actually can write HTML and JavaScript to do a little front end work. And so it's there are a lot of like, if you kind of open up your search beyond maybe just the big companies that have very defined roles, a lot of small to mid-sized companies have all sorts of hybrid roles where they need people with mixed skill sets, which is kind of fun if you like that sort of work. Yeah. The other thing that I found is like for some of the developer evangelist roles and things like that, they give you a ton of latitude, right? You can go kind of do what you want. So (laughs) as long as you're showing up for the company and getting people to come back and check out the product, they're, they're happy to have you do your thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, that to me was always fun. Like I enjoyed software development, but I've always liked working with people and helping instruct people. So like I got into speaking at conferences and uh, writing a lot. And that that's sort of what led me down this path. But obviously, you know, you have to kind of know yourself and what your strengths are, what you like doing. So I, you know, it, another angle that on this that I've had a couple friends do is like becoming teachers at say like boot camps or mm-hmm. even colleges, maybe teaching a course or, or just auto, like coming in and helping with a course. And that can be a really cool way to kind of do a different a different angle on development. And it's really rewarding when you get to help a lot of other students get better at it. Yeah. Subrat, what have you seen as far as yeah. alternatives? Yeah. Alternative that, that what Carl's tell is, I see a lot of uh, good good packages, a lot of good uh, API they're developing, but their documentation is not that good. So there will be another opportunity if you're using that and then you can write something about it, which will be easily understandable by a lot of other people because mainly somehow uh, like the main developer did, didn't li- like to add the pretty good documentation. I think this is going on. This is, uh, I think in a podcast we discussed with last brink i think say he's he's also kind of doing the same just started a work on that and i think that's the that's a pretty good option if you love to write and all also love to explore new apis and uh, yeah new tools yeah i i what i've really liked about getting into the the sort of kind of technical writing we do the this sort of marketing focused writing is we get to go learn a client's tool learn it, like learn their API and their basic docs, and then go kind of build cool stuff with it, which is really like, oh, oh, for me, one of the most fun parts of software engineering is getting a greenfield project and getting to just do whatever I want with it. And then, and then write about it afterwards and get paid for that. And so a lot of our writers, I mean, that that's sort of their motivators. Like, look, I want to go out and learn new tools. My day job, I can't really explore a ton because we're, we're working on a very set project. So maybe on the side, I want to do some of this, this, content writing for draft.dev or for individual companies on their own. And I think that's a great way to learn. You, We were kind of touching on this already. Like I've gotten a ton of offers to for jobs, freelancing and consulting just because of stuff I've written on the internet. It's just sits out there for years and people reach out to you. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of wild because it's like this free business card just sitting out there collecting, you know, leads, if you want to call them that, but basically collecting contacts of good people. Yeah, I, I can attest to a lot of that, too, just from the podcasting, right? So things slowed down uh, for me in 2020 on the podcast front, right? And so I wound up just kind of looking to see what else I could find. And 
it was funny. I wound up going in for a job interview and the job interview was literally the boss basically said, well, we're good friends, so I can't do the interview. So he walks out of the room and then the other two people sitting in there go, we love your podcast. And that's what we talked about for an hour. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or for a long time when I was freelance, I'd, I'd have like a contract end prematurely or I'd have one winding down and I'd just mention it on the show. Hey, I've got some fr- <laughs> I've got some open time and I would get phone calls. And so, yeah, it, yeah. it totally works. Totally. And I used to do this thing that's kind of related, like on my resume, I would have each bullet point, I would have a link that actually like showed that I knew the thing. So instead of it being just like, hey, Carl knows Laravel, React and, you know, Python or something, I'd have each of those link off to a blog post where I wrote about something I built in that tool. So they could, I mean, I almost thought of it as like a, a skills check so they can ideally, you know, skip some of mm-hmm. those like arbitrary coding things that just make sure I know what I'm talking about. Obviously, you know, you still have to do the, the, the grindy hard part of it of going through interviews, I think, but it can definitely, it definitely sets you apart. You know, people would say something in the the interview, like, Oh, I like that. There was already some examples of stuff you built. And then we just, like you say, we just talk about that. And that was like really easy because I'd already written about it, thought about it a lot. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. There, I mean, there are so many options and I've seen people, they just come in and they just kind of work on in one little corner of the company. Right. So they're not they're not even like writing code for the main product. You know, they're maintaining the WordPress setup for the marketing team or what have you, right? And sometimes that's the niche that they want to be in. I mean, there are so many ways you can go. Yeah, yeah. There's also, I'll kind of mention this because I think this is really picked up even since I wrote this. There's kind of the whole no and low code world. And, you know, that, that these are buzzy terms. Essentially, they're mm-hmm. just higher level abstractions, though, for like stuff we've been building for a long time. So, I mean, you know, the, these, a lot of low code tools are essentially things that software engineers would have had to build from scratch a few years ago. And now they're kind of doing most of the work there and you can sort of just like inject your custom stuff wherever you want it. Mm-hmm. And these are really powerful for companies that are just trying to build some behind the scenes stuff, or maybe don't have the resources to hire full on engineering teams and build their own software. And if you're, you're somebody who likes to code or you like that, that logic mentality, but you don't want to go in and learn a bunch of programming languages. Maybe you want to work a little faster on your own thing that no, in low code space is just really ripe right now. And I see a lot of people going into this like kind of the growing field of low code engineering or no code software mm-hmm. engineering. And, you know, I don't really know what it means yet, but I think it's going to be a bigger and bigger thing because we're just seeing more and more products that are, that are helping people build stuff without software development. Yeah. Well, on my end, I've used Monday.com and I use Podio.com right now for yeah. a lot of the automation stuff, right? And I mean, effectively, what you're doing is you're doing API programming. But yeah, then the next person comes along, they don't have to write the code. They literally just say, here are the inputs, here's where you get the info from, and out it goes. And there are a lot of folks that, yeah, they have some custom need, you know, whether it's connect my system to this other system or, you know, kind of like a Zapier or even a direct integration. And yeah, you're you're writing the glue code, right? And it's like, oh, this is a three-day job. But yeah, you're you're customizing for a lot of this other stuff. Yeah. I mean, how much of software engineering is just CRUD apps, <laughs> you know, input, output, like pipes from a, a form to a database and not all of it, obviously, like there's some really right. interesting problems you could solve. But like so much of that stuff is not really interesting to senior level developers. It's not something we necessarily need to be writing from scratch every time. And so there's a lot there that I think it, people are starting to realize like, hey, look, we can lean on these tools instead of having software engineers build every 
random form that our marketing team wants to have on the site, which is really tedious. Nobody wants to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the interesting problems I find are we're going to take this data and this data and this data, and we're going to put it together in interesting ways. And the yeah. way that the no-code stuff kind of aligns with that is I have a separate system for my CRM, a separate system for this, and a separate system for this, and I need them all to interact. And so, you know, you're, you're effectively just writing the go-between code for that and, and making it work. And that's an interesting enough problem, but you don't have to write the CRM or the, you know, the yeah. other pieces, right? You're, you're just integrating through some integrator, you know, be it a Zapier or something else, or whether it's, hey, this just kind of has its own little marketplace and we're going to work through that. Yeah. Yeah, we do a ton of stuff with Zapier. I mean, we're, we're producing hundreds of articles a month. And so we have a lot of automations behind the scenes to keep mm-hmm. things sort of organized and keep the flow moving so that yep. people aren't just manually sending tons of emails to check back and forth. And so, yeah, that it's just all Zapier, Airtable, a couple other things just kind of hooked in together. And it saves us a ton of money because we don't have to hire a big engineering right. team for it. But it's also like... Yeah, it's just kind of like very flexible too. You know, one of the, the things I think people forget about software engineering is that it's like, like once you start writing code, it becomes inflexible pretty quickly because we're writing right. tests around it to help make sure it's that it's correct. Yeah, we're, we're sort of building in these interfaces and all this extra stuff to make sure it's high quality, which means it comes at the cost of moving fast and changing fast mm-hmm. and. So anyway, it's people forget that sort of trade off. I think, and a lot of engineers just want to jump right into building the whole big awesome system instead of like, Hey, let's sit back and like prototype it. Maybe do a a quick hack in Zapier, like live with that for a few months, see if it works and then come and build the whole thing. So there's a middle ground there for everybody, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I'm wondering, you know, as you kind of get into this, maybe you you're getting inspired that that job sounds more interesting than the one I'm doing. Right. That sounds more interesting than writing code against the main branch of the main thing for the company. Right. What kinds of skills and other prep work can you do to start making that transition? Because, I mean, I'm on a mission. I'm I'm working on actually recording the first episode of the Top End Devs podcast where I talk about this. But effectively, you know, somebody asked me, well, what pisses you off? And for me, what pisses me off is when people feel like they're stuck in a job they don't like in development because they've got all these options. I mean, sometimes it's just, hey, you know, the stuff I do isn't, isn't interesting. And sometimes it's my boss is a jerk and I don't want to deal with him anymore. Right. But I don't feel like I have the experience or the option to move along somewhere else. So what, what kinds of things, if I'm looking at this and thinking, okay, maybe it's the kind of work I'm doing and I ought to just see if I can transition to something else. How do I start making that work for me? Right. How do I start figuring out what I need to know or be able to do in order to, to do that? So I actually have a a couple thoughts on this. One is that I don't think advice and learning styles are universal. So in other words, some people learn best through courses. Some people learn best through just hands-on, get their feet wet in something. Some people learn best from conversations and like, you know, kind of back and forth with the teacher. So my, my sort of like, when people ask the question, like, how should I learn X? I'm kind of always like, how do you best learn? Like, when was the last time you really made a lot of progress learning something? And like, go find a path for that. So for example, like, there are so many great courses out there now. It's incredible. Like I was a self-taught developer who just kind of hacked things together off of like 
whatever documentation I could get in Stack Overflow. And so there was so little back when I was starting compared to now where there's a course or a YouTube video on every imaginable topic. So if you like that style, go with that style. If you're somebody who needs to be building stuff, then I encourage you to like start your own little side project and start building something in that space. So, you know, we're talking about the writing. Maybe it's just starting your own blog. It's, it's almost, I mean, it's ridiculously simple now with, with things like Dev2 and Hashnode and even Medium, like all really good options, very easy to, to get started. So, I mean, know your style and go out there. For me personally, though, to kind of like bring into what I what helps me, I'm a very much like a hands-on t- kind of learner. So typically when I want to learn something new, I will start like, I'll read a little bit about it, but then really quickly, I want to get my hands dirty. I want to get into like building stuff and trying stuff out. So I've always had a lot of little side projects. It's just the way I, I kind of tend to learn new things. I so, have that problem. No, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely, it, it can be, you know, I used to look at it as like a problem because I wasn't focused. Now I kind of look at it as each one of these was a little path of learning that I got to do, you know, and now it, maybe I'd never use it again, but it, it taught me how to think in a different way. So there's some value to those projects, even if they never make a dollar or make any like real significant impact on the world. But yeah, so so decide what works best for you and just go for it and get a, you know, one thing that's also helped me personally, again, is like a mentorship or, or peer group even of other people learning a similar thing at the same time, or maybe just ahead of me. So I've always kept a really like long list of kind of mentors and peers who I thought were good to keep in touch with. And I get lunch with them regularly and hear about their problems. I ask them my questions. I still do this. I mean, like, it doesn't matter how senior you are, you don't know everything. And if you think you do, like, get out of this field, because it's not for people who are done learning. But yeah, so I'm just constantly trying to meet people and stay in touch with them and and then try stuff out yeah boy you're 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 preaching my sermon here because <laughs> because like seriously top end devs it's it's learn something new every day commit code every day meet somebody new every week i mean that's all you know, that, that i I'm one, one piece of content every week right because because honestly that's how you move ahead anyway go ahead sue brought yeah what i think i wa- i have a question like, i i heard from a lot of people like my my friends are also asking maybe so they are they have interest in a lot of things but how they will know or how someone will know which is which is best uh, for me i gave an answer but, but i i would like to first listen it from you oh, yeah that's a really good question because i have a lot of interest and in i don't know what i'm going to do with the rest of my life either <laughs> in, in seriousness like i think there's sort of periods of your life where it makes more sense to be an explorer who's doing lots of things and then periods of your life where maybe it's best to focus on the highest return on investment things you can do. So I'll put it in very practical terms in my own life. And then you can kind of think of how this might apply to you. When I was just out of college, I had all the free time in the world. Basically, I was just working a regular, you know, kind of, you know, small company job. I didn't have a a family at home to support and I was making enough money to survive. So I just did all sorts of weird side projects, started little things with friends, went to tons of meetup groups, so much exploring, no, no focus at all. Like I had no idea what I was doing myself, but I was trying all sorts of things. And that was really good because then I started to like find what I was good at, what I liked. I built a lot of skills. And then as I've gotten older and now, you know, I've got a family, I've got uh, a lot of more financial obligations as well. Just everything stacks up. And now I'm a little more discerning about when I take 
on something new because I realized like, look, this has got to be a positive return on my investment of time or else I have to justify it to my wife and explain why I'm not making money this month. You know, there's always like something there. Right. So for me, it's like different points in your life. You can do different things. It's okay. I look back and like that exploring was very good for me because it helped me figure out some skills that now I can get a really high return on my investment of time. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't know that I don't know that that answers the question, but that's the way it's worked for me. And the way I like how I have uh, looked at that time where I was just exploring. It's like, it's okay. Just accept that that's part of, of going through the whole journey. Yeah. What I tell people. So there are six practices for top end devs, right? We've talked about like four or five of them. The The fifth one is, is going to the meetups and talking to people there. And I, I throw conferences in there. You should go to at least one conference every year. And if you can't go, find an online one, right? Find a summit where you can go and, and interact with people because you'll get a lot of ideas, a lot of guidance there as far as like what the current thing is, right? So that's one way. And then the other way is, is and this is the seventh practice, right? So I have seven things total, right? With the conferences and meetups is five and six. The seventh one is effectively sit down and figure out where you want to wind up in a few years, right? And just, just uh, people are like, well, I just don't know where. Seriously, just think about something that, that sounds good and just realize that if it starts to not sound good, you can change it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then and then what you do is you sit down and you say, okay, for the next three months, what am I going to work on, right? And so then you know, okay, well, I want to be a developer evangelist, so I need to learn how to speak at conferences. I need mm-hmm. to learn how to write blog posts. I need to be up on the latest stuff in the areas that I think I'm going to have to cover as a, an evangelist, right? And so that guides a lot of that. And so then it's not, hey, there are a bazillion and a half things going on in Angular. How am I supposed to keep it all straight? It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you're looking at, hey, these are the things that are most likely going to move the needle for me if this is where I want to go. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good insight. I like that idea of like setting a path and just like going for it, but then being flexible enough to think like, well, this path ends up not being my my you know whole life that's fine it's like it'll get me closer to something and yeah i, I actually i've I, I feel like every few years i kind of go through a bit of a career shift and i I've, mm-hmm. i struggled with whether that was okay if that's like am i am i unfocused do i have a problem here and i just realized somewhat recently that like that's okay this is all part of it like we can all make changes in our lives mm-hmm over time. And I've also started like this last year, started working with like a coach to help kind of walk yeah. through that like, personal coach, w- whether you do that through therapy or a coach or a friend or mentors, some, you know, having other people to bounce these things off of and talk about your feelings with, I think it's really important. It's been really helpful for me at least. Yeah. You definitely can't ignore the rest of life, right? Because it's going to, it's going to weigh in. And you're, you're saying, yeah, I have a family now and things like that. And that just makes it even more important to be focused, right? To know he- where you're headed at. I mean, I'm, I'm 42 years old. I have five kids. One of them called me in the middle of this podcast and said, Dad, I left my math book home. And one of the other ones texted me and said, I have a field trip today. Can you bring me a lunch? Because I forgot to pack one, right? And so, you know, you, you, you have to balance all this stuff out with all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you do the best you can. But if you just make a little bit of progress on a regular basis, you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. People way underestimate how much they can do in a year by just staying consistent. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Like if you look back at something small, like say you want to start writing, so you write like a paragraph every day. I mean, you will have a whole lot of content by the end of that year, even just a paragraph a day. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot to that consistency. I always, Mm -hmm. 
that like consistency over time is almost like the cheat code for winning at anything. And it's, it's not a cheat yep. code because it's just like, it's, it's kind of more of like just sticking with stuff, but, but that's really how you get to be really good at things. Hey folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, I mean, it seems like a lot of things these days are kind of pushing us more toward productivity, right? We install VS Code extensions, we do CICD, we kind of get this stuff off our plate, automate as much as we can, and move quickly. And one of the tools that I tell people to get is something like Raygun. Uh, do you want to just explain real quick how Raygun can help with the productivity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's several fold. I like to think of Raygun as um, almost being like a full-time engineer on your team that's keeping an eye on things and is able to report the important faults or performance bottlenecks so that you aren't guessing. Um, and so that's one element. But then to that point where we store as all of the data we possibly can uh, on the context of the error or performance issue so that you know we integrate with source control systems, you can jump into our APM and get method-level timing details with the source code right beside it. So if you're looking at it going, why is this page so slow? You know, um, you can usually just eyeball the code right there and then. So speeding everything up, which I think is really important with, you know, our industry is under so much pressure right now. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we've got to try and get people being more efficient because we, we're not going to have a whole lot more people suddenly. Right. Absolutely. And I, I just I love that idea. I've done plenty of optimizations myself. Right. And having an APM tool that will actually say, yeah, uh, this is the slow code. Right. So instead of me trying to guess or look at it and go, oh, do I have an N plus one query here? Yeah, it just tells me where the problem is. And that's really powerful in something like Raygun or... Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Iron Man. And, and you know, the, the, the idea is that I would love a virtual Jarvis that's just going, hey, there's this <laughs> thing. Do you want me to go fix this? Do you want me to solve yeah. that? It's like, that, that's where we need to get to. Yep, absolutely. Well, if you want uh, the next best thing, go to raygun.com. Yeah, it's not Jarvis, but it it will tell you where the problem is so you can go fix it. You can get a free trial right now if you want. It's raygun.com. Yeah, and just, you know, going back, because I kind of want to talk about the writing stuff too, right? So you start looking and you go, okay, so this is the direction I want to head and these are the things that I want to be able to do. Whether it's writing or podcasting or YouTubing or, you know, putting out that content every week like we're talking about here. I mean, put put content out about the stuff that you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of yeah. document your journey because other people will come along, you know, maybe a step or two behind you and find it helpful. But the other thing is, is, yeah, if if Carl's looking for another writer and he finds your personal blog and, you know, you're you're trying to get to be able to write for him, make a little bit of money at it, it makes a whole lot of sense. He can go and look and he can say, oh, well, this person's documented their writing journey and they've documented how they learn stuff and they've documented how they, you know, figure these things out. And so you you look a whole lot more attractive because all of a sudden you figure out exactly what you know. And I can yeah. ask the questions, your Carl can ask the questions to fill in the gaps. Okay, well, these are the other things we care about. Yeah. And you're a real person, too. I think something that, that as developers, as a developer myself, and a lot of developers tend to overlook is that hiring decisions and who people work with, who clients want to work with, it's personal. Even it's if true. it's, there's like, there is a business element, there's a skills element, but honestly, they got to like you. Like They, they, they yeah. got to feel like you're a real human who has, you know, they want to hear a little vulnerability. They want to hear a little bit of like self-awareness. And so I think, 
I'm personally of the mindset that, that your writing can help reflect that. It can show your learning journey, like you're saying. It can mm-hmm. show the things you're struggling with as far as like you can talk about the, the career transitions you're trying to make. And yeah. I've always done that myself. And I found it very helpful because people reach out and say, hey, you're a real human like me. Let's talk mm-hmm. more. Like this is this is really cool. And I want it's it's encouraging to them because they realize that, you know, you're not just this faceless name behind the screen. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say that I decide, you know what, I actually want to do this, right? I want to make one of these career transitions. I want to blog about what I'm doing so that people can see what I know and who I am and kind of make some of these connections you're talking about. What, what's the best way to get started with that? Because what I find is that a lot of people, they they look at that kind of blank text area or that blank, you know, smart text area that you get on WordPress or what have you, right? And they're going, uh, okay, so I want to write a blog, but I, I'm, you know, I'm stumped, right? I don't know what to write about. I don't know what the process is. I don't know anything about this, right? I mean, I write code and I've got technical skills, but this is different. Yeah, it's, it is and it isn't because at the fundamental level, constraints breed creativity. And mm-hmm. so when you're going to start a new code project, what's the first thing you should do? It's probably not write a line of code. It's probably what like define the problem and the solution you're trying to get to, right? There's right. like a whole bunch of planning that goes into good code. Any developer who's been doing this for more than a couple of years knows that most of the work is outside of writing code. Co- writing code becomes the, the trivial part once you know right. what the problem is and how to solve it. The same is true of writing a really good essay. And people don't realize that because they, if you haven't written much. So for me, what that process looks like is, is reading a lot about the sort of space that I want to write about or reading similar mm-hmm. kinds of articles and starting to get a sense of what they covered. And, it, you know, it, it, I guess you could worry that that's going to make you less original, but you don't really get a bunch of bonus points for being a hundred percent original in in life. And most writers who are just starting out shouldn't be maybe a hundred percent original. It should be more of like, understand what readers are expecting and then try to Mm -hmm. match those expectations. So anyway, just like your first code project probably shouldn't be something that is like brand new to the world and never been built before. Maybe it's a clone of Twitter or something easy like that. That's kind of how you think about your writing too. It's like, what can, how can I write like a little personal story? It's kind of like somebody else's personal story, but like puts in my own details. So you maybe read some stuff. You then start to outline the sort of path you want to follow. And then once you like for me, I've got a you know bullet point of about a page worth of bullet points on my outline. Then it's almost easy to just fill in the gaps and just say like, right. yeah, I started off my career doing X, da, 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 the little transition into then I moved into Y. And so it should be kind of this this planned out process, much like you would do if you're building a whole, you know, a code app uh, from scratch as well. Yeah, what's funny, too, is that sometimes my problem. So here, uh, uh, go I, ahead, Subrat. No, no. Yeah. So what, what I'm asking is, uh, so is building a content is is fine. Like you know, once you started is, you know, in, in, initially, you will get a push like you're learning things, you're learning newer things. Like for me, it was learning to do it every week to do it every you know, video editing and those things so we we'll mm-hmm. spend a lot of times on that but afterwards it feels like uh, how to manage the time like two day at once and so how you weekly basis or three days in a week or somehow i got to uh, uh, what plan we should do so that we can be consistent either on on every into the city yeah what i mean consistency is hard I and mean, anything yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting I, here going, I, I was going to sarcastically say, I don't know. I, you're the only one that has that problem. <laughs> <laughs> but no, right, this is yeah. this is stuff everybody hits. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, How do you handle right. it, Carl? No. And even after, I, I mean, I struggle with this and I've written, like, I think I was telling you guys, I wrote like, a hundred articles in 2020 and I have uh, no idea how I did that and I don't do it at all now. So it's, I'm not a hundred percent consistent either. Uh, nobody is. I, I mean, I will say for me, at least writing begets more writing. It's funny. Like the more I write, the more I come up with new ideas for things to write. And then it, once I have that idea and I start thinking about it and start outlining it, Again, I kind of get so wrapped up in it that I'm like, I got to I got to go. I got to do it. So I'll find myself, you know, staying up late, starting a second essay after I first finished the first. Maybe not everybody's like that, but that that for me has always been the key. So keeping some momentum. I mean, one thing I've done in the past is uh, free, like locked in a part of every like one day a week where I was like blocked off my calendar. And this is what I'm going to do. That may or may not be realistic, depending on your schedule. But I find that with writing it's not something I can do in small bits and pieces. I need to sit down for two to four hours and really think about the thing, kind of like with code. Like mm-hmm. when you, you know, I've been a manager who had to be a little hands-on and a little manager, man, that is tough. That is like the worst, hardest part to be because jumping into code for 20 minutes is almost useless where you know you need like a couple hours to really grok everything and get up like in your short-term memory, right? So same with writing for me. I got to block off time personally. Yeah, what I found is that a lot of it, both in code and in good writing or podcasting or whatever, is kind of letting the ideas connect to each other, right? Because usually it's not the, this is how strings work in JavaScript, right? It's the, hey, there is this really interesting piece of logic or functionality in the JavaScript language that relates to strings that you probably haven't thought about. (laughs) And then it ties into this other interesting feature in Angular in this really fascinating way that shortcuts this particular problem that people run into on a regular basis, right? And so what you're really doing is you're doing the mental work to let your brain start to glue these ideas together. And it, I'm probably making it sound harder than it is, but what it really is about, it's about sitting down and taking the time to think it through. And, and, and that's what Carl said. I will say, though, that I've also had some pretty popular blog posts that were, I hit this error and I changed this and it fixed it. Right. You know, and it's <laughs> two true. paragraphs. Right. So so don't be afraid yeah. to write those two. You can put those out and it counts as content and it helps people yeah. out. Right. Because I'm doing the search and Stack Overflow ain't doing it for me. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you used const instead of let buddy. Right. <laughs> or, so you know, or yeah. whatever. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, there's no like rule about you have to have fifteen hundred words for it to be any good. Like it's your it's your writing. You decide what you want to make the rules. You know, yeah. I, I mean, the the best answers on Stack Overflow are a couple hundred words at most, not thousands. And so yeah. I think there's a really good case to be made that brevity is fine if you're a developer writing about developer topics. Yeah. And the other thing that I found is that developing the longer content, so things like giving talks at conferences or prepping for an hour-long webinar or things like that, a lot of times that's where I wind up making a lot of those same connections and it's down to the same thing, right? I'm spending a lot of time thinking about the the particular topic. And then I start going, okay, I need to talk about this connection, this connection, this connection, right? And I can put those things in as my podcast episodes or my blog posts and make it work. Yeah. David, uh, There's a guy named David Perel who writes about writing a lot and I've liked a lot of his stuff 
uh, especially as I wrote a lot a couple years ago. And um, one of the things he says is to like have an idea, write a small bit about the idea and then start talking to people about the idea and, you know, run it by them and start thinking about, you know, like talking about hearing their opinions. And it starts to form this idea a little better in your mind. And then you kind of come back to it and you write more and it's just like you can build up more once you've got like all these connections flowing. And so that's another style. Like I, you know, I don't can't say I do that for everything I write but you may be something else that might help you kind of get more ideas together before you actually start writing. Yeah, I'm seeing this in particular. I'm running for the local school board here in, in the school district I live in. And yeah, you know, I've been going to candidate nights and meet and greets and stuff like that. And yeah, I get asked questions and, you know, I'll put an idea out and somebody will, you know, oh, okay, well, what, but what about this, right? And yeah, it, it really helps you refine your thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need that because you, it, this is another fear a lot of new writers have is that they're going to put something out there and people think it's stupid. Unfortunately, no matter I've done what that. you do, yeah, people will think you're stupid. So I wish I could say that that's not going to happen. But like in the majority of cases, though, not enough people read it that anyone's really going to make a, you know, splash about saying you're stupid. So it doesn't matter. But yeah, I mean, one of the the sort of risky parts about putting your, your idea out there, if you haven't tested it and talked about it with other people, is you might get more of that reaction, that, that pushback, like, hey, you haven't even thought of this. And so it can help maybe build up some security in that idea and start to, you know, you feel more comfortable sharing it because you've already shared it with a bunch of friends and comfortable, you know, people who would have given you feedback anyway. Yeah, the the worst that I've really gotten on almost anything I've put out there is that nobody talks about it, right? Right. <laughs> it just doesn't it doesn't yeah. click or engage, right? And then on the couple of them where somebody felt like they had actually had to break down what I got wrong, even that wasn't that bad, right? It's like, "Oh, okay." You know, and sometimes yeah. it's I just disagree with you, and sometimes it's, "Oh, you know what? You're actually right, you know, and in which case I just add an addendum to my article and say, hey, somebody rebutted these three points over here and they're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about having being able to put stuff out on the internet is that you can kind of learn from your own writing. And I've definitely had that mm -hmm. same experience where I've written a piece and then there've been maybe comments on on Reddit or on, you know, the the platform it was and they've kind of mm -hmm. pushed me in a different direction. I realized, hey, this is great. I'm now learning something I didn't even expect to to learn today. So yeah, you gotta have an open mind and be ready for a little bit of critique, especially if you want to share stuff and you you really get it out there. Yeah. The the other version of, you know, learning from what you're uh, writing is Basically, I've had the experience where I've said something really smart on the podcast, and then I'm like, wait, that was good. What did I just say? <laughs> right? Like, uh, Hopefully, you got it recorded, right? <laughs> yeah, usually it is. But then I have to go find it. Anyway. Yeah, you got to go super through your own. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, what I was like, you know, when I started in my channel, YouTube channel, like a lot of people asked me that uh, there are a lot of content out there, which is teaching Angular. and. And the same thing they have also, like what what they want is, why should I put this blog post because it's already there. So uh, what then my answer to them or my hard to find a answer to like all of the listener also. Nowadays, it, it is very big cafe nearby, but brand new things that is it, not done yet because of the lot of development. But one thing we can think of like, like if it's a coffee shop, there are a lot of coffee mm -hmm. uh, we we used to like some particular audio uh, video copies of and but you can be someone's best self and your your code or your writing uh, may may mm -hmm. i think it's 
that's the what the truth of uh, the world you, you help someone little better than someone else that's how people will gonna like you and that's what i thought and started the channel but mm-hmm. then you you're not going to like everyone and everyone gone not going to like you but someone going to like you someone going to love you and that's how you will grow so what's what's your thought on that <laughs> yeah i agree yep. that's been my experience too yeah it's like there's no harm in saying the same idea twice on the internet the internet's a huge huge place <laughs> yeah well everyone uh, else is wrong even if they said the same thing right <laughs> right yeah no that that's exactly my my advice to people too when they say the same thing to rot is just like look, you are going to write stuff that's slightly different and it might connect with someone in a way that the other pieces out there didn't. Or maybe, I mean, like with things like Angular, it updates all the time. And I mean, it's maybe slowed down a bit now that it's a little more stable, but I remember jumping on Angular right when, you know, the Angular 1 and 2 split happened. And man, it was a wild ride. Like none of the tutorials were ever up to date for the first three years there. And so I got to say that like, I wanted people to keep writing new tutorials personally. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing though, that I don't think people think about as much with this is that, you know, I don't know what to write. Every, somebody's already covered this, blah, 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 blah. Right. Is that again, back to the idea of consistency on YouTube, they reward you for being consistently talking about the same topic, you know, on Google, they rank your site based on, hey, they've got a whole bunch of articles talking about the same stuff, right? The podcasts get rewarded for that in iTunes and other places, right? Because we consistently talk about the same topics. So even if it's a topic somebody else has covered and yours isn't going to be the best one out there and it only helps a few people understand things better than the other one did, you're still going to get rewarded because you're going to get credit for it in the algorithms and they're going to send more people your way for Angular or whatever else you're talking about. All right. Anything else that we want to dive into here with alternative career paths or writing? I well, yeah, kind of I guess bridge the gap. You guys, yeah, maybe this is one other question I'll throw back around. If, if you guys run across people in your you know professional networks or whatever that made interesting career changes in software development or were in software development and switched, any any good stories that come to mind there? There are a couple. I mean, I came up through DevOps and IT actually, and then I got that was in college i was doing that at the university and then i got a job running the support department actually for a software company so the customers would call in and we'd tell them how to fix their problems and i ran the department but i was also kind of the tier three support right i was the one that was talking to the programmers because i was the one with the technical background and the technical degree and then we started building our own ticketing system because I couldn't get my boss to buy one for us. And that, <laughs> that's how I made that transition into software. One of our hosts on JavaScript Jabber, uh, she came in and, you know, she was talking about being a new programmer for quite a long time. But she she was writing Node.js. She actually worked on NPM, had a whole bunch of interesting stuff go on. And then she decided she wanted to make a left turn and she's doing DevOps now for CBS. So there there are a lot of different places. And I don't think she particularly had any strong skills that way, you know, over any other kind of generic JavaScript developer. But she was she demonstrated that she was willing to learn. She had built a little bit of a reputation being on our show and demonstrated an aptitude for it. She kind of took over as both kind of a 
project manager and DevOps engineer, and she's mostly doing DevOps now. So yeah. it happens, and it happens on a regular basis. And yeah, a lot of it is just down to putting stuff out there, getting to know people, and then being willing to, you know, kind of pick up the ball and run with it. Yeah, I agree. My, um, my, I, well, yes. I guess, Sabrat, did you have any, any stories or people you know who've made those changes? Yeah. So I can tell I uh, did a lot of things in, uh, in my mind. Like, uh, I have to on a switch of, I was, uh, I think like you, I was also a mechanical engineer in, in degree, then uh, mechanical engineering, like to build, build two, three cars, and build robots, and build satellites. But then when it came to, we, we had, had a, eventually success and some failed. So our plan of uh, uh, starting off a small, all small business in, in in our college room that everybody do. <laughs> it was a failure, but at that time, we know that nobody knows coding and nobody knows, at least if you go to someone, what will show them. So then I started learning uh, Django that time, they build some tool, but, but Python and Django. So that uh, strike me a lot that I don't need anything apart from a laptop to to build it. Uh, other thing I need a lot of things, a lot of sponsor, a lot because it's a huge cost. Now, now it's pretty easy first involved. That uh, switched me and then I started learning through YouTube and at that time the, no, not that much video was there, but it was it was the uh, help one. So that was how my switch was and then I joined some uh, newcomers, but but I uh, bought some courses and I think uh, in the Coursera, uh, Coursera software company. So yeah it's it's so cool and one of my friends switched from like <laughs> he's on the soft, soft, software but he switched from testing to development so it was a yes yeah, yeah i left out my qa stint my yeah. testing stint i don't know why you would switch the other way <laughs> i guess more people are better suited to it than i am yeah i it's it's cool because unlike feels like medicine or uh, something like that, you, you can just kind of hop around a little more in our, our world. And that's a really fun, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a fun luxury. And, you know, I think it's, it's nice if you can take advantage of it for sure. Yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start winding down, head toward picks. Carl, do you have content out there or a good place for people to go if they're looking to make some of the transitions or learn some of the stuff? We're yeah. You guys can link to that. Obviously, the the article I did about alternative career paths, uh, that's for free code camp. I write for them occasionally. I also wrote a piece on my personal blog about how to start freelance technical content and blogging. If There's a bunch of resources there and places you can go to get started. One of those places is draft.dev. We work with a lot of, all of our writers are basically former software engineers or DevOps engineers that want to do some writing on the side, or they're, they're still full-time engineers. They just do this on the side. So if you're ever interested in that, definitely you can apply there. But there's also, in my blog post, there's a ton of like other places you can go. So you know we're not the only place to, to do this. And it's really just great that this is an option for something you know that you can get paid a little and also learn new skills, try new things. And so I'd encourage you to do that. And then, and then for myself personally, if you, you ever want to, you're welcome to, you know, check out on, uh, follow me on Twitter and love to connect with other devs there and talk about our, you know, weird career journeys we're going on. Awesome. What's your Twitter, Twitter handle? Uh, yeah. At Carl L Hughes and Carl's with a K. So yeah, we can, I can give you a link to that too, but yeah, it's, it's great to, to talk with you guys. I, I love this, uh, I, lo- I love this kind of stuff because I don't think it gets talked about enough. Everybody worries about being the best technical expert in something, but I think there's just so much more that you can you can do if you want to. Yeah, I'm actually looking at so 
like I've, I've talked about the top end devs process, but I want to do a top end dev summit where we talk through this, right? Where we talk about continual learning and then about posting content, meeting people and participating in the community and doing all those things that kind of get you where you need to go if you're being consistent. So I may ask you to get involved in that, but uh, I love yeah. it. I would definitely in the meantime, yeah, let's definitely help. Awesome. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. All right, let's do some picks. Subrat, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah. Uh, pick for this week will be a book again. So it's Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty good book and problem, but it it will help. Uh, it's somewhat kind of uh, starting from a, what didn't exist and what starting with a pretty big uh, in a lot of things in our life. So that's a pick for this week. Awesome. I'm going to jump in. I always do a board game pick as part of my stuff. And I'm trying to find the name of the expansion for this game. It's called Scythe. And I think I've picked it on the show before. But Scythe is effectively, you have a, you, you get a board in front of you and you have a worker that you move around to the different spots on the board to build different things, right? And then there's a, a wider game board that you're actually moving your kind of national character around or you're moving like um, mechs which are, you know, just big fighting machines. And then you have workers on the board, too, that you can use to generate resources. And the one that the way you have is Invaders from Afar. I've picked Scythe before, and I, I wanted to pick the expansion. So th- this expansion adds the Albion and Tagawa nations, right? So it's like Japanese and English, basically. And, you know, you basically, yeah, you're just, you're working through to, to kind of control a bunch of the map. It's not really a fighting game like Risk or Axis and Allies, though. It it really is more of a production game, more along the lines of, I guess, like Settlers of Catan and stuff, though you expand in different ways and you, your mechs and everything have different abilities and things like that. So anyway, really, really, really fun game. Board Game Geek clocks this guy in. So Scythe, like the basic game, has a weight of 3.43 out of 5. So it's pretty... It's it's a pretty heavy game. The Invaders, let me just find it real quick. Uh, the Invaders from Afar expansion is a 3.44. So it, you know, went up in complexity just a hair. So just keep that in mind. If you're not into the heavy games with a lot of moving parts, this is probably not your game, but I'm way into board games. I really enjoy them. So yeah, if you're looking for kind of a fun way to expand it, really, I think the point, the point oh one growth in Complexity is just that Albion and Tagawa, which function the same as the other uh, countries, they offer one of them has traps. And so if you move a mech or a worker onto the trap, then it triggers and, you know, 
causes stuff. And then Albion, I think, is the one that has flags, and the flags give you certain abilities. But otherwise, it's the same game, just with two more countries. Uh, I did see that there is another expansion that I don't have. So that that's probably forty dollars down the drain here this week, but <laughs> yeah, next uh, really list. really enjoying that, <laughs> right? Beyond that, uh, picks. So yeah, I'm putting together summits for the different shows, right? So we're gonna have an Angular summit along with some of the other ones. I'm looking at doing the top end dev summit in June or July, and that'll be more focused on growing your career and growing your skills and things like that, right? And I feel like it should go a little beyond your technical skills. A lot of times people focus on their technical skills because it's easy to kind of say, oh, I get it or I don't. But there's so much more that goes into career and life that I feel like play right back into your ability to do your job. And so, yeah, just consistent growth in those areas is really, really important. And then, yeah, I'll probably have some folks come and talk about content one day, right? So we'll talk about podcasting, blogging, books, like writing books, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so we'll have some people come talk about that. And yeah, again, just we'll, we'll do one on putting together meetups, you know, networking at conferences, stuff like that. In fact, we might start with that since it'll be a summit and we're going to have a whole bunch of networking options. Each of the conferences is also going to offer an NFT as part of your ticket. So anyway, we're we're going to have a whole bunch of fun putting this stuff together. But go to uh, topendevs.com slash conferences if you want to see when they all are. I should have that schedule up here within the next week or two as we record this. So then you can go and sign up for the conferences that you're most interested in or get your company to sponsor it and get tickets that way. But anyway, yeah, I'm going to shout that out as a pick. And I'm just trying to think through if there's anything else. I don't think there is. So, Carl, what what do you have to pick for us? I used to be in a board game kind of meetup here in Chicago, and I loved the Battlestar mm-hmm. Galactica board game. I don't know if you guys have happened to play that. It's That's like a fun a deception. one. Yeah, it's like deception focused, which I, I really like. Yeah, you're trying to figure out who the... <laughs> the traitor is Cylon is yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, my pick my actual pick for this this time will be uh there's a video on Vimeo called uh The Gap by Ira Glass and he is a um runs This American Life podcast so you probably heard his this name on the radio Life. at some point yeah so anyway the gap though the idea is that if you're in any creative or or like building field even like software engineering or writing like we're talking about you you kind of develop taste to know whether things are good before you can actually create good things yourself. So in other words, you might read a book mm-hmm. and say, that was a really good book, but there's no way I could, you know, you know, you can't emulate that. So you'll always look at your right. own stuff as terrible. And fighting through that gap is his, like the thesis of it is you have to fight through that gap. Everybody does just fight through it. Just go down and do it every day. And that kind of goes to what we're talking about. I just re ran across that video this week though. So thought I'd share it might be inspirational to anybody who's struggling with that. I love it too, because Ira Glass is just a masterful storyteller. And that's what this American life is. So yeah, I'll have to go check it out. If you want to drop us a link in the chat, we'll make sure it winds up in the show notes. All right, one last thing. If people are thinking, you know what, I, I'm i an okay writer, and I think I might be able to write for money. How, how do people go about getting hired by you? Yeah, draft.dev slash write 
and okay. there is there's there's a short application. We just look for people. Oops, I may have put the wrong link. I'll put the link here in the chat. Yeah, I misspelled right, so that that's not a good sign, right? <laughs> uh, the <laughs> the uh, the URL um, bar doesn't have a spell check. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, that we usually look for people who've written at least two or three pieces online <laughs> and say Medium or their own personal blog first. People with at least usually three or four years or more of experience, but at the same time, we have some junior writers as well. So definitely feel free to apply. And then if you don't hear back, just let me know. Ping Carl at draft.dev. I'm always happy to give you feedback and tell you what you could do to improve your application. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Thanks for coming, Carl. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Great to meet you guys. Thanks so much for having me. All right, folks. Until next time, Max out. Thanks, guys. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.